take your Bibles, if you will, and find John's Gospel, chapter number one. John's Gospel, chapter number one. Find that place in your Bible this morning. John's Gospel, chapter number one. Next two weeks is Mother's Day, and we'll have a Mother's Day message, Lord willing, by the grace of God, we'll be speaking on that. But we continue our series in the Gospel of John, looking at the sevens we find in John. And if you're getting bored, just text me a message and say, Preacher, please cut it off. I'm tired. Just move on to something else, and I'll ignore you. But, uh, <laughs> but I'm trying to, we're here to study the Word of God, and this is where the Lord has us for a little while. And there's, it's an inexhaustible book. It's an inexhaustible Bible. And so we want to share some things, again, with the sevens. We have looked at, again, we didn't really, seven miracles we looked at probably last year. And then we looked at the seven I am's. Just recently, we looked at the uh, seven witnesses that we find in John's gospel. We looked at the seven conversations we find in John's gospel that the Lord Jesus Christ had with uh, seven different women. We've uh, Last Sunday, we looked at seven, probably eight questions that Pontius Pilate asked the Lord Jesus Christ. And what we're going to do next is there are two groups, two groups of seven men that are mentioned in Scripture. There's only seven disciples mentioned in John's gospel, and then there are seven non-disciples that are mentioned in John's gospel by name. Now, there are other people that the Lord has conversations with and talks with, but we really don't know the name. For instance, like the blind man uh, that the Lord healed as one of the seven miracles. We're never told his name. It just says there was a certain man born blind, but we don't have a name. But there are seven men mentioned by name that the Lord specifically mentions. And sometimes it's not even a conversation, but the Lord does mention their names, as we'll make that plain as we go through. Now, some of these names we may get to... Uh, on one Sunday, or three. This one, we're going to park it today and, and, and see how much time we get, because again, this is a name that we're all very familiar with, and probably one of the most popular names in the New Testament. Uh, in fact, the, if we were to take a quiz on who the greatest Christian to ever live was uh, in the Bible, uh, just sticking with the New Testament, most of us say the Apostle Paul, and then we go from there. If we were to give a list of the entire Bible, who were the greatest Christians, the greatest children of God in the Bible. I know, by the way, we say Christians, and I have somebody getting on. In the Bible, they weren't Christians in the Old Testament. In a technical sense, yes, but we, you get the understanding. The, the saved people, the people who were believers in God, okay, they're Mr. Mr. Spurgeon. We can we understand the technical thing there. So who were, the, who, were the, the most, who were the famous saved people in the Bible? And, and we may go through the Bible and say, okay, let's see, uh, we're going to count Adam. We'll move on from Adam, and then we will go to, okay, uh, well, there's definitely Noah. Then we have Abraham, and, and then we, Isaac, eh, let's move Joseph then. We can go to Moses, and, and then Joshua, Samuel, of course, um, uh, David. And, and by the way, we can put Jonathan in that category. Jonathan is really one of the great men of the Old Testament who doesn't get a lot of credit and, and a lot of knowledge. But uh, David would not be David without his friend Jonathan. And we go through the Bible and give a top 10 maybe of a list. But Jesus Christ said the greatest man who ever lived was John the Baptist. <laughs> and, and we don't think about that too often until you really study who John the Baptist is and what he did. And here's a man who had one purpose, one job, and he did it. You ever see those things? You, know, you had one job and it's usually messed up. A picture of some, you know, an arrow, right turn only and the arrow's going left. You had one job and it's like, well, John the Baptist had one job, and he did that one job. And he had his one job for a small time frame. And God put him there, and then God removed him. And John truly is a great man. And we're trying to try 
look at the scripture, and our first man that is mentioned by name apart from a disciple would be John the Baptist. Well, you see in John chapter number 1, and uh, we start reading, and we're going to do a little bit of reading here. In verse number 15, John bare witness of him, saying, uh, John bare witness of him, cried, saying, This was he of whom I spake. He that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. Of his fullness have we all received, and grace for grace. For the law was given by Moses, but the grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. I like that verse. I marked that in my Bible. No man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. And this is the record of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who art thou? And he confessed and denied not, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Art thou Elias? And he said, I am not. Art thou a prophet? He answered, No. I love those answers. And they said unto him, Who art thou, that we may give an answer to them that sent us? What sayest thou of thyself? He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as said the prophet Isaiah. And they say, and they which were sent were of the Pharisees. And when they asked him and said, Then why baptist why baptizest thou then, if thou be not the Christ or Elias, neither that prophet? Jesus answered him, saying, John answered, I'm sorry, I baptize with water. But there standeth one among you whom ye know not. He it is whose coming after me is preferred before me, whose shoes latched I am not worthy to unloose. These things were done in Barbea beyond Jordan, and John was baptizing the there. Was baptizing. I'll speak straight one day. Verse 29. The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. That's a good verse. You ought to mark that one too. This is he of whom I spake. After me cometh a man which is preferred before me, for he was before me. And I knew him not, but that he should be made manifest to Israel. Therefore am I coming, come baptizing with water. And John bare record, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it abode upon him. And I knew him not, but he that sent me to baptize with water. The same said unto me, Unto whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, the same is he which baptizes with the Holy Ghost. And I saw and bear record that this is the Son of God. I'd like us to take our Bible and, uh, and go to chapter number th uh, uh, 3 and verse number 22. John three twenty-two. After these things came Jesus and his disciples into the land of Judea, and there he tarried with them and baptized and John also was baptizing in Anon near Salem because there was much water there and there came and were baptized. And John was not yet cast into prison for there arose a question be between some of the John's disciples about the Jews about purifying. And they came unto John and said unto him, Rabbi, he that was with thee beyond Jordan to whom thou bearest witness, behold, the same baptizes and all men come to him. John answered and said, A man cannot receive nothing except to be given him from, from heaven. Ye yourselves bear witness, me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I am sent before him. He that hath the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom which standeth and heareth him rejoiceth greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This is my joy, therefore is fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease. That's another good verse you ought to mark in your Bibles. He that cometh from above is above all, and he that does of the earth is earthly. And he that speak of the earth, he that cometh from heaven is above all. 
And what he hath seen and heard, that which he testifieth, no man receiveth his testimony. He that receiveth his testimony hath set his seal that God is true. For he whom God hath sent speaketh the words of God. For God giveth not the Spirit by measure unto him. There's a truth that we can spend all year unraveling about the Holy Spirit of God upon our Lord. The Father loveth the Son, and hath given all things in his hand. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abide on him. Father, bless the time, bless the hour. Now speak to our hearts as we try to understand your man, uh, your, your preacher, your witness. Uh, may the Spirit of God work and move in this service and have his perfect will and way. If anybody's not saved, help them understand the gospel and be saved. Help our children downstairs and those who minister with them. Help the teenagers and young adults up here, Lord, again, that this world would lose all its luster when we look into the face of the Lord Jesus Christ. Bless now this time. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In the, in the verses we read, to be clear, there are a thousand and one sermons in here. And we should all take notes on how John conducted his life. And um, John never made his life about himself. John and his life, everything was about Christ. And his job as being a cousin, remember when we read the, the, the birth account in the Gospels, we, Mary and Elizabeth were cousins. And Elizabeth and Zechariah were giving birth to John the Baptist while Mary was giving birth to our Lord. Uh, there's a six-month difference between them. And the purpose of John the Baptist and his birth, and his name was given before birth, was that he could go before the Lord to prepare the way, to announce that the Messiah is coming, the Messiah is coming. He is that one who is running down the streets, so to speak, and letting everybody know that the king is on his way and prepare the way, and everybody to get themselves ready because the king is coming. And it was John's job to prepare Israel for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, and John did that job. When we read the gospel accounts about John, his witness, and all that he did, it's an amazing life. And how this massive crowd that followed John in the wilderness. He didn't have a public place in the town square. Uh, John never read the, uh, the books on how to build the, the local church. Because right? he would have failed. Because he went out into the wilderness. And, uh, and his lunch program consisted of locust and wild honey. And, and, and the clothing attire was, was camel's hair. And uh, that's not exactly a, a Baptist uh, food or attire. I guarantee you that much. We were out in Pennsylvania one day and I saw... Uh, chocolate-covered ants. I saw then they have lollipops with uh, crickets in them. And I said, you know what? I, I, we're not that desperate. You know, it would be, be novel, but we're not that desperate. I'm just not going there. I like chocolate-covered raisins, and, but I'm not trying anything, any creatures covered in chocolate. Amen? And locust, I like honey. I, I do enjoy uh, honey and, uh, and taking a spoonful every now and then. But I, I'm just not going in the locust department. I'm sorry. Maybe that's why I'm not a great preacher, because I'm just not eating the right stuff. Amen? And uh, that's, But John was a great man. He was filled with the Holy Spirit of God before he was born. Now think about that. Uh, that, 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 that. That throws a lot of theology right out the window that we believe. I don't got quite figured out. I don't think anybody does. But John the Baptist, in his, when he was in his mother's womb, when he heard about Mary expecting the Lord Jesus Christ, it says the babe leaped in Elizabeth's womb. So how is that? That's ridiculous. 
Well, God said it happened. And the Holy Spirit of God, who was inside John before he was born, was excited about it. <laughs> Again, I don't quite understand it, but I believe it, and I like it. And John, in that sense, has a unique ministry. And he will not start his ministry until prior to the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, there's some debating, and I'm not sure. Maybe six months to a year, John was out there preaching. And John drew a large crowd onto himself. He had his own disciples. And by disciples, those mean that people that wanted to study and learn. So the, John, as a rabbi, as a teacher, had these group of men that he was teaching. Some of those men would end up leaving John and become disciples, part of the 12 of the disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, remember that. That's important for us to remember that. because It'll play into our study on John and, and who he was. And so John, again, is this man that his job is to preach and tell people that the Messiah is coming and get the nation of Israel ready. And when the Lord does come, John will baptize him down there in the Jordan River. And the Spirit of God will descend from heaven and, and fill the Lord Jesus Christ and empower him. And our Lord will do his ministry always in the work and power of the Holy Spirit of God and not in his own power as the Son of God. Teaching us that as believers... We ourselves need to depend upon the Holy Spirit of God for everything in our lives. He's as, a, as the model, as the instructor, Christ, again, is teaching us, I don't do this in my power, I'm doing it through the power of the Spirit of God. And how do you, and by the way, he had the Spirit of God without measure. He had the full package. You and I don't have the full package. We get enough, to, just enough that we can handle, and God will use that upon us. And you ought to pray for more power of God upon your life as you grow and surrender in your walk to the Lord. Now, when we go back to John in chapter number 1 and we begin to dissect these things and see John's ministry as it's revealed in John's gospel, there are several things I want to bring to our attention. I want to bring us the, as, as it's revealed day by day and the emphasis upon each episode that we meet John and what's going on. In verses 19 through 28, a, a, a delegation is sent unto John, and there's an emphasis. There's three emphasis, and I want to give us the first emphasis. This delegation is sent to investigate John. Basically, it was composed of priests and Levites, at least some of who were Pharisees. And uh, these priests were, and, and the job of a priest in Judaism was to be an intermediary between God and man. It was them who offered the sacrifices, them who put the blood, and those who sang praises to God. And, and, and these also were the theological experts in Israel. If you had a Bible question, you would go down and ask the priest, and the priest at the temple should be able to explain the Old Testament to you as what they knew. We know it Old Testament. They just knew it as Bible. They didn't know they were getting a New Testament. They just knew their one book. And so they have a question, uh, uh, excuse me, uh, rabbi, teacher, priest, what, what does this mean? And, and we learned this in synagogue the other day. And, and it was the job of the priest to instruct them and to help them and, and educate them in, in the things of Almighty God. Uh, when they were not serving in the temple, and again, they were, really had a two-week annual duty that they lived uh, but they lived throughout the, the, the land, and, and as they weren't, when they weren't ministering in the temple, they would minister throughout the nation of Israel and in, in, in the local areas and in, in local synagogues and instruct and teach the people. The Levites assisted the priests in the temple rituals. And again, since the temple uh, police force was made up of Levites, 
they likely served as a security attachment to protect the priest in the delegation. So there's, again, a lot going on here. But their first question that they have of John that we see here in Scripture is uh, basically in verse number 19, at the end of the verse, it says, Who art thou? They want to know who John is. We got this preacher out there in the wilderness preaching, and he's not really a nice preacher, by the way. He's very strong in his preaching. He's, he's very uh, dogmatic in his preaching, and, and he's laying it out straight. There's no black and whites. It's all black and white with John. There's no gray areas. It's right or it's wrong. This type of preaching will cause John his life later on when he tells wicked Herod that uh, it's not right for you to have your brother's wife. Today they would condemn John for that. John, maybe you shouldn't preach like that. You know, we've got to be a little more loving and a little more compassionate and not preach against sin so much because you're not going to draw a crowd that way. But John preached it. It's not right for you, Herod, to steal your brother's wife and then take her for your own. That's, that's adultery. That's wickedness. That's sin. And God hates that. And, and, of course, Herod would have him locked up in prison because he preached such a truth. But who are you? Exactly who are you? And, and, and again, this, this, this reflects the Jewish leaders' confusion, confusion regarding who he was since they did not fit any of the messianic expectations. This doesn't fit who the Messiah is going to be. And so who exactly is this guy out here? The question implied really is that they might be considering John. Is, again, who art thou? They really, it's implied, are you the Messiah? That's what they're really implying with this questioning. They want to know who he is. And he emphatically and plainly tells them that, again, I am not the Christ in verse number 20. I am, and that word Christ means anointed, which means M Messiah. I am not the Messiah. I am not the one you're looking for. He, he's coming. He's right behind me. You guys need to watch out. He's right behind me. I'm just, getting, I'm just uh, mowing the lawn, so to speak, and getting it ready for him to come down the road. So again, the question, they want to know who he is and what's going on. He's the forerunner. And they give the next question, then, what then? Art thou Elias? I am not. Art thou the, uh, that prophet? And he answered, no. So again, they, they, they go through the, the prophecies of the Bible. They're looking through the Bible. These men know their Bible, and so they're trying to figure out exactly who he is and where does he fit in Scripture. Now again, they're, they're, when we think about this, some believe that he was Elijah. Now in the Bible, it talks about how Elijah will come before the Lord, and there's a lot to it. I'm not going to unpack all of that. But they're asking him, are you Elijah? Somehow, Because Elijah never died. Since Elijah was taken to God and up to heaven without dying, we're expecting Elijah to come back. And Elijah probably will come back after the rapture and be part of the two witnesses in the book of Revelation. You can, we can debate that and argue that, but, we're not, but the Bible talks about Elijah coming back someday and God bringing him back. Some believe that maybe John the Baptist was Elijah. And uh, or others thought maybe he's possibly Jeremiah resurrected from the dead, which is a kind of a weird thing to think about. But who is this guy? And, and, and exactly what's he doing? And, and, and who, who is he supposed to be? And John simply said, no. No answer, no explanation, just no. And by the way, don't you, when you're looking for an answer and somebody gives you a no answer, it kind of frustrates you, doesn't it? You want an answer. And, but they just give you a no. Well, that didn't answer my question. Because my question was more, even though I didn't say it, I'm, I'm digging for more dirt here. Again, John's reply undoubtedly was not what these group of people were expecting to hear. Rather, they're claiming to be 
someone important, he humbly referred to himself merely as a voice of one crying in the wilderness. Who are you? And here's a, I am John the Baptist, son of Zechariah, a miracle birth there from two old people. Who are you? I'm just a, just a guy. Just the voice of some guy crying in the wilderness, uh, making straight the way of the Lord, as says the prophet Isaiah. So again, he, the point of the question is that to give no prominence to the preacher whatsoever. John is basically saying, I am not important. I am not important. It's not about me. It's about the one who's coming behind me. And when we think about John, I, I want us to focus on that, that humility that we find in John. Here's a man who has a crowd, he has a following, and, he, and he's got a big group. But even with that, it's still not about him. It wasn't John the Baptist Ministries. He wasn't, and, and so many things in, in the ministry today, everybody's got to put their name on it. So-and-so's ministries. You see this all the time with these people. From the largest to the, the lowest nut job, it's all about them. This is not Matt Swiatkowski because I got my ministry is Christ. This is Jesus Christ. It's all about Him. Right. It's not about me. Besides, my name's so long, most people can't pronounce it anyway. Are you, what, 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 what is that? Oh, you tell me it's Irish, and uh, just to throw more confusion on the matter. <laughs> and uh, anyway, we were. In, where were we? We're. In, that's a long story. I don't have time for it. All right. So again, the point here, he's making straight the way of the Lord. So with John, we see his self-abasement, his idea of it's not about me, which is reminiscent of the Apostle Paul who said what? I am the very least of the apostles. You notice all the great men in the Bible truly believed they were nothing. Who's the most humblest man in the Bible according to the Bible? Moses. Bible says Moses was uh, very meek among all men. I forget the exact quotation of it, but the Bible says Moses. And yet we see Moses and doing his work and doing what he does. But it's never about Moses. It's always about God. And then we come to a man like uh, John the Baptist. Jesus said there wasn't, there's not a greater man that ever lived. And yet we, what do we see with John? So we see his humility. It's not about me. It's about Christ. We think of great men in the New Testament, well, the Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul's got to be the greatest Christian that ever lived. And yet, what did Paul say? I am the chief of sinners. I am the least of all the apostles. I'm a nobody. <laughs> if you knew who I was before I met Christ, you wouldn't like me. I'm a nobody. And those men truly believe that. And yet, God in his Bible records all their great works. And, all that they, and how God used them and what God did through their life. Why? Because they were surrendered to Him. My friend, the key to Christianity is death to self. It's the, it's the crucified life. God does not use living things. God uses dead things. The Christian who's dead to, to himself and alive to Christ. Uh, it's not about me, me being glorified, not about me getting the property, not about me getting the job, not about me getting the money, not about me getting the glory. It's about Christ. It's, it's Jesus being known. And when we study John and we look at his life, it's all about, it's all about Christ. Who are you? I'm, I'm nobody. I'm just a guy out here in the wilderness preaching about Jesus and, and telling everybody they've got to repent because the Messiah is coming. You better, better change your ways because it's about to get real in a minute. 
By the way, it's about to get real in a minute too around here, the way things are looking. The Lord's not far off. So John's response was more than a humble confession. It was an Old Testament prophecy, again, that speaks of his coming uh, glory of the kingdom of God. Again, it was necessary preparation for it. With all things, there's always preparation. You ever walk into a, a wedding hall? Oh, what a beautiful place. Well, somebody prepared it. We walked into church. Oh, the place looks nice. Well, somebody prepared it. You go home, supper's on the table. Somebody prepared it. Messiah's coming. Well, somebody's got to prepare the way. Somebody's got to start telling people he's coming, he's on his way. And that was John's job. He's making straight. So there's a second day. And there's a second emphasis here with the second group that's coming. And this one is real simple, my friend. Verse number 29. The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him, and he saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. This is he of whom I said after me, Cometh a man which is preferred before me, for he was before me, and I knew him not, but that he should be made manifest to Israel. Therefore am I come baptizing with water. And he goes on to speak about him, and, and he's bearing record of him. But I don't want you to notice that phrase in verse number 29, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. Now again, that phrase may not mean a whole lot to us, but in the Bible it meant a whole lot to them Jewish people, because this, it, it connected with them. Because this was their life. This is their, the temple's right there. And they understand the idea of sacrificing animals. They understand about taking a lamb and sacrificing lambs. Lambs were a very common animal in Israel. What was the main occupation in Israel? But shepherds. What do shepherds shepherd? But sheep. And what was the job of those shepherds? Most times to sell their sheep to people, not only for food, but for sacrificial purposes. And so they would go down to the market, see a lamb, and purchase a beautiful lamb, the most perfect of those lambs, for the purpose of bringing it to the temple so that that animal's blood can, throat can be cut, its blood poured into a bowl, and then it burnt on the altar, and the priest can take its blood and sprinkle it upon the mercy seat to atone for the sins of Israel. They understood the idea of lamb and what the purpose of a lamb was. For us, it may be a meal. You either like lamb or you don't like eating lamb. There's two categories. It's like, yeah, I can give or take it. Or, yeah, bring it on. I like lamb. I enjoy it. We made some uh, lamb the other night on the grill. It was wonderful, and uh, we enjoyed it very much. Uh, Evan was not home for that. He missed it, and so I'm sorry, son, you missed the lamb. And, uh, but I got some more in the freezer, so. but you're going away this week, so your mother and I will have a great time without you and, and eat that food. So... Uh, you enjoy your trip. And anyhow, but there's, uh, I'll go to the, the diner and every now and then he'll have a roast lamb. I'll say, give me a, some lamb. Put some lamb gravy on that bad boy. And, and if you're really lucky, you put some mint jelly on the side and you go to town on that thing. Or maybe you get the lamb chops with the, those lollipop things. With the, pull the bone and it looks like a lollipop almost and you have your lamb chops. Can I get a witness? Anybody? Can I get a witness? Amen. Amen. Thank you. <laughs> Got a few out there. Others are going like. If you're an Israelite, you ate lamb. They understood lamb. Jesus is walking down. Wouldn't you like to have been there? <laughs> Wouldn't you? If, there's a, if I can get the DeLorean cranked up, I would park it here to see Jesus and John. And here comes the Lamb of God and that connects with everybody's brain every jew is thinking sacrifice there's the lamb of god that's the one who's going to pay 
for the sins, not only of Israel, my friend, but the sin of the whole world. Notice there he says in verse number 29, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Now again, sometimes the Bible says sins, sometimes it says sin. There's really no difference, by the way. There's no, it's, it's my friend, our sins. All of them are being paid for by the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Which sins, preacher? All of them. Amen. Which sins, preacher? All of them. <laughs> what do you mean by that? Of the past sins, yes. What about the present ones, the ones you're thinking right now that are sin? Wish this guy would shut up. I want to go home. I'm now I'm hungry. I want to eat a lamb. I've got to find a lamb somewhere. Or the future sins, my friend. How can Jesus pay for my sins when they're still future? Because well, I haven't committed them yet. My friend, when he died on Calvary's cross, we were future, just in case you haven't figured that out. The sins of the world were paid for by Jesus Christ. They're paid. I don't understand how we don't understand that concept, that Christ paid for your sins. The debt has been taken care of. It's a terrible thing to be in debt. Nobody should be in debt. Christians, we fall into debt financially. It's a bad thing to be in debt. Sometimes we got good, we call good debt. We've got a mortgage and, and car payments. You ought to get out of car payments as quickly as possible. And, and, and a mortgage, try and get out of that thing as quickly as possible. You've got a 30-year loan. Do it in 15. Get out of it because you're wasting money. And, and put that money to, to other good works. But my friend, debt is, is never a good thing. The Bible says be a debtor to no man. But Spiritually speaking, all men owe a debt that we cannot pay, that we are spiritually bankrupt and can do nothing about. Christ paid that debt. And again, we can park it here on that sermon all day long, that Jesus Christ paid for all of our sins and they're, and they're taken care of. We don't owe them anymore. Well, why do I need to confess my sins then, the Bible says? Because, my friend, we are... It's not so that we can have... Uh, salvation it's so that we can have fellowship i don't know about you and how it works in your home but every now and then my wife may have an argument it's never my fault because i'm pretty much close to perfect but uh every now and then my wife and i will get into an argument <laughs> if you believe that when i got land in new york i want to sell you and every now and then i'll have to go to my wife and i'll say sweetheart I'm sorry. You better be sorry because you were wrong. And they'll remind you of the whole thing all over again. Amen, Brother Dave? You know how that works. Amen? <laughs> no, Mrs. White says no. And so you, you, you I'm sorry. And, uh, and you, you can, because you did wrong. My wife will come to me. You were right. I'm sorry. The master forgives you, sweetheart. And, and, and she's fine. <laughs> I don't say that. <laughs> I don't even think that. Uh, I'm just glad she's talking to me again. We're not getting remarried. We're just having fellowship restored so that, again, when I walk in the kitchen, she's not banging things down and looking at me. And, and uh, I love you, sweetheart. Good for you. And then, you know, just <laughs> how, how it works. You kind of get those things fixed up. I confess my sins so that my fellowship is right with God. I, I, I broke that fellowship when I sinned against my God. And what does the Bible say? We confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So when I trusted Christ as Savior, uh, all of my sins 
that, that were removed, and I am made righteous in the sight of God. I am justified. I am sanctified. I am holy in the presence in God's courtroom, and, and there's never a stain that can stick to me. I am just as if I had never sinned. The doctrine of justification and sanctification are worth preaching and repeating often. But when it comes to my fellowship with my God, I must confess, Lord, I, this is what I did wrong today, and I, I'm sorry, Lord, for what I did today, and, and, and please forgive me, and, and my God is gracious to forgive me. So John's witness, again, was to this group emphasizing. But then we have a third group that we see here, and the third emphasis is found in, in verses 35 through 37. And again, for sake of time, we have to move on here. Again, the next day, John, standing with two of his disciples uh, in verse number 35, and looking at the, upon Jesus... Behold, the Lamb of God. And the disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. And we know the story how these men will go, and they'll become followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what I want us to notice here, this is difficult, and, and, and is that John and his followers are now walking off to follow Jesus Christ. John's crowd is getting smaller, and Christ's crowd is getting bigger. And humanly speaking... That can be a very difficult thing for a person to deal with. Am I God not using me anymore? Have I messed up? Have I done wrong? What's wrong with me? And why is my crowd? And he understands they're going to fall because Christ is great. He understands all that. But humanly speaking, it can be difficult for a person. But John is able to deal with that, and they go off. And so in John's emphasis here, and what we're seeing in this emphasis, is that since the Messiah, the Son of God, the Lamb of God is here, here's the only response is what? You follow him. You follow Jesus Christ. Because I, I'm not paying for your sins. I'm not dying for you. He's the one that we all have to look to, follow him. And so having served his purpose as a witness to the true identity of, of Jesus Christ, John the Baptist is now fading from the scene. And fading from the scene is always difficult. We're all, we all have our spotlight. We all have our prime where we are it, and then we begin to fade as life goes on. In our, in our jobs, we have this, he's the, the man, then we fade from that position. In life, he's the, he's the father, he's the mother, and then we fade, and he's just, he's just the grandparent now, while everybody else is getting the glory position. It's just, it's life, how it goes. And, and people move on in life, and things happen. And John's job was to point men to Christ, and basically to, to, to fade back. And he did that very well, which is very difficult for some people to do. Some people just never know when to let go, especially preachers. Let me pick on preachers, and I hope I don't get this way, because the day will come where I will have to step aside and say, I can't do this no more. I may preach and, and minister, but I can't pastor no more. And I'll have to step, but there's a lot of guys that say, I'm not going, I'm not, and, they, and the entire church dies out from underneath them. Because they're just, it's just, they're just not doing the job. And God is trying to get rid of them. And they, God hasn't told me to leave. No, he told you to leave 10 years ago. You just keep hanging on. Or they bring a preacher in. You stay. I'm going to be leaving in a year. You stay underneath me. And, and that young man starts to minister and work. And the crowd begins to grow. And the, and the pastor's like, it's growing. I'm not leaving. And, and, he, and, he, and, he, and like I thought you were, a year. It's been, it's been 13 months. It's 14 months. When are you leaving, preacher? You know, you brought me here so I can take over. And he's like, well, the church is growing. Well, it's growing because of this guy. I hate to say that. And, 
But a good preacher will realize, you know, it's time to go. And so he stays, and the other guy eventually packs up and leaves. I see it all the time in ministry, different places. It's a difficult thing. So he must go. And when we see here in Scripture how John fades away, and I, and I want us to, there's so much we can talk about here and, uh, and what John does. And, and he says in chapter number 3, if we go there very quickly, it's that verse, chapter 3, verse number 30, he must increase, but I must decrease. And again, nobody likes to decrease. It's part of our human nature to, 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 to increase, not to get to decrease. He says, I am just simply the, the friend of the bridegroom. Jesus is the bridegroom, the church is the bride, and I'm just the bridegroom. I'm, I'm, and listen, in the wedding party, the men in the wedding party, they're just there to, to, to look good, basically. And the bridesmaid, they're there to look good. And, and the whole glorification is for the, the bride and the bridegroom. And too often I've seen weddings where people uh, try to steal that limelight. Listen, if you ever get married and you ever ask me to marry you, I, I usually tell people, now listen, this is what I will do for you. It's your day. If there's a relative that's going to destroy your day, let me know, and I will stick them in a closet. I will do all I can to make sure you have a wonderful day because we all have that aunt, and I hate to say this, but it's always some woman that just, 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 just always wants to destroy the thing. I've seen it time after time. No offense. It's sexist. No, it's real. It's realism. We had one wedding one time. It was an hour and a half. Hour and a half. We're all standing around waiting. Like, what, what's the problem? Well, the bride's mother, she's getting ready. An hour and a half. She showed up. I'm like, I looked at her. I was like, I think she needs another hour and a half. <laughs> she just, an hour and a half. Wait, and listen, we're on limousine time. They, we're leaving at so-and-so. The restaurant, we're, we, you know, we're on time. We, but it was all about her. Made me angry. I wanted to just let me lose. I'll kick her down the front stairs and we'll go on with this thing. Can I, another pet peeve? This may aggravate you. Flower girls and ring bearers annoy me. It's like, poof! It's good! <laughs> Let's go with the wedding. And, oh, it's so cute. No, it's not cute. Your kid's a monster, and it's destroying the wedding. And it's taken away from the bride and the bridegroom. Knock them off and drag the screaming brat out of here. Pastor, you're so mean. Because it's about them. It's not about your snot-nosed kid or your mother or your aunt who's always trying to steal the show. Let me know. I'll, I'll take care of them. I, I will. I'm, all, I'm a nice guy, but on those days, I can really... It's a Jekyll and Hyde thing with me. I'll turn to Mr. Hyde in a heartbeat to get that battle axe out of here. Because it's about you. It's about you. I, and everybody's looking at the bride, by the way. I always check out the groom. What's the groom doing when she's walking down the aisle? I've seen a lot of reactions. Guys almost breaking into tears. Some guys almost fainting. And all kinds of reactions. One guy said, she's the bride's walking down the aisle. He's standing there. I said, what do you think? How's she look? She looks beautiful. <laughs> a good reaction. <laughs> That's a good reaction. <laughs> you don't know. That's a bad reaction. John in verse number 29 says, my friend, it's about the bride and the bridegroom. It's not about me. I'm just in the wedding party. Just in the wedding party. You ever in a wedding party and I'm the pastor? 
I'm warning you, one false move on your part, you're going to have problems. Let me close with this. Look at Luke chapter number 7. I, I, I can't close without saying this. Hey, preacher, don't you like kids? I love kids. I do love kids. Just not when they're destroying a wedding. My friend, John the Baptist is sitting in prison. Prison have an effect on you. You're used to preaching, you're used to a ministry, you're used to doing great things and great crowds and God's using you and next thing you know you're in prison and you got no crowds, nobody and just a few disciples every now and then check on you to see how you're doing in jail and what's going on in your life. And if we're to look at John in a very downcast moment that the great man of God who appeared like a comet in the sky for a brief moment flew through the sky and we saw him just for a short period but, but didn't he shine while he blew through here. In Luke chapter number 7 and verse number eight, uh, 19, and, and John calling unto him, this is John the Baptist, his two disciples sent him to Jesus saying, Art thou that he should come or should we look for another? You think about that statement. John's in prison. He's kind of maybe depressed, discouraged, whatever word you want to use, but he tells his disciples, Go find Jesus and, and just double check. Just double check to make sure he's really the Messiah. That kind of gets to me. You say, how can a, the greatest man ever live ever say such a thing? <laughs> well, you take it up with Jesus when you meet him. And when the men, verse 20, were come unto him, they said unto John the Baptist, has sent unto thee, saying, Art thou he that should come, or look we for another? At the same hour he cured many of their infirmities and plagues and, and of the evil spirits, and unto many that were blind he gave sight. I like what Jesus does here. It's just like his great love. Verse 22. Go your way and tell John what things you have seen and heard. How the blind see. The lame walk. The lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. To the poor the gospel is preached. And blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended. The Lord Jesus Christ performs a lot of miracles and tells the disciples of John. You go back to John and tell him, I'm he and Tell them all that you saw. And encouraging. I thank God we have a God who wants to encourage us, not discourage us. I, I'm thankful we have a God that when we do get discouraged, he doesn't beat us up and kick us, but tries to help us. When Elijah got depressed and wished that he could die, God told him, here, eat something and go take a nap. My friend, never underestimate the power of a snack and a nap. Amen? And when he woke up, God encouraged him and God had him to do some things. And said, I got a job for you, Elijah. Keep going. John the Baptist is depressed. Did I miss it? Maybe I messed up. Maybe, maybe I wasn't right. And you tell John he's okay. You tell John he was right. And you tell him all the things. I like that part. The poor have the gospel preached. Can I tell you a secret? Every night when we leave this place on Sunday night, I don't know what happened, but I can tell you one thing, is that the poor have the gospel preached. That's what I say. When I lock up, well, the poor had the gospel preached unto them. That's all I know that happened, but thank God for it. And Jesus goes on to give a eulogy for John, even though he's not dead, and we'll close with this. In verse number 24, What went ye out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken in the wind? What went ye out to see? A man clothed in soft raiment? <laughs> Behold, they which are gorgeously apparelled and live delicately are in the king's courts. 
But what went ye out to see? A prophet? Yea, and I say unto you much more than a prophet. This is he of whom is written, Behold, I send my message before thy face, which shall prepare the way before thee, as found in Malachi. For I say unto you, among those that are born of woman, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. But he that is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. And all the publicans, and all the people that heard him, and the publicans justified God, being baptized with the baptism of John. My friend, John's going to lose his head shortly. He's going to get his head cut off because he preached the gospel. <laughs> and, uh, and what do we see here? We see one of the great men of the Bible. Now again, I didn't do, in 40 minutes, I didn't do justice to all that this man did, but we kind of gave you a covering of who he is, basically just found in him. But what the emphasis really is, is John's humility and his role in life. And if we all learn our role in life and what function we have in God's kingdom and ministry, we really be a lot happier and a lot more productive. If we learn what our gifts are that the Spirit of God has given to us and know how to use them and where to use them, we can be productive. And, and be doing something. Too often we think because we don't have this massive crowd or this going on. It's not about, my friends, it's all about, about faithfulness. It's about faithfulness. Just be faithful with what God's given to you. And, and, and if God wills, he'll give you more. And that's his will, but be faithful. As we saw here in this gospel, in John, he says, you know, everything I have is what God gave me. And I realize as a pastor, what we have here is what God has given me. God has given other men more and God has given other men less. This is us. This is who we are in this church, in this corner of the world. And we serve God, and we're going to serve faithfully. And without trying to make a name for ourselves, it's all about Christ and glorifying Him. Because at the end of the day, my friend, that's all that really matters. Let's stand together for prayer. Father, we do thank you for your goodness and mercy. We thank you for a man like John. And uh, if we can just have a portion of that Spirit upon us, that portion of humility that never exalts self, never seeks the fame, fortune, or spotlight, but Lord, just willing to work in that spot so that men may see Jesus Christ. Bless this time and this hour now. We love you, we thank you, we pray.